All right, we're doing things a little bit differently up here, as you can tell, but uh, uh, go ahead and have a seat, Chris. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray for us, if you bow your heads uh, with me. Um, Father God, it is for freedom you set us free. By the sacrifice of your Son, the gift of your Spirit, and according to your holy plan, you not only set us free from the chains of this world, but invite us into your kingdom. Why should we not praise you for such a future? You give life that is truly life and hope that does not disappoint. Since we've been called and gifted by you, help us to live by your spirit, not according to our flesh. Let us delight in you above all other desires, all other activities, all other possessions. Teach us to live according to your mission, the mission of Jesus, being agents of restoration in a world that desperately needs you. God, we pray for our community, men, women, and children who live all around us to come into an authentic relationship with you through the Spirit of Jesus. We pray that you would restore marriages, friendships, parent and child relationships, bring revival to our land through your powerful Spirit and for your glory. And God, we pray for our own hearts, too, that you would root out selfish ambition, wrong desires, unhealthy relationships that you may be glorified in us and so that we will delight ourselves in you. Now, Father, we ask that you would make our hearts attentive to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lifespring is building a place to gather to bless the neighborhood schools and families of our surrounding community. I want to thank all who happened and we're so so grateful for uh, on the outside not life spring blue that there will be a beautiful project when this 21 half acre site is complete uh, it will include a church a playground community center walking path restaurants retail and lots of space for the church uh, for the for the community to gather um, we're currently working on the first phase of the church building so why are we building a place to gather for the entire community and not just life spring community church and it's really quite simple. We want to bless our community. Uh, we want to share what we have. And we hope and pray that many will receive the highest blessing of coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, becoming sons and daughters of the King. Uh, so please be praying together with us uh, that God will use uh, the work for just that, to bring, draw people into relationship with himself. Now, uh, today is the second week in a four-week series uh, called Living by the Spirit. And uh, last week, we introduced it by talking about essential business. That living by the Spirit is such essential business that it's like the bread we eat, the water we drink, the air that we breathe. Uh, living by the Spirit is essential for a life with God. And just as a reminder, we as Christians believe our God is triune. In other words, we believe in the Trinity. Um, the concept of the Trinity shows up in Scripture, but also in our songs, our creeds, our prayers, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, songs like Wonderful, Merciful Savior, uh, which I will read you the lyrics of. Wonderful, Merciful Savior, so this is the, of, the, uh, of Jesus. Uh, Precious Redeemer and Friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Of the Spirit, Counselor, Comforter, Keeper, Spirit we long to embrace, you offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost their way. And then of the Father, 
Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully love in your own, here in our weakness you find us, falling before your throne. So we believe in one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God is God, just as the Son is God and just as the Father is God. All three are different personalities within the Godhead, and yet they are distinct. So not only does the Holy Spirit and its uh, distinct and his distinct personality offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost their way, um, the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity set apart for the life-giving work of God. Author, pastor, theologian Sinclair Ferguson describes the Spirit of God as extending God's presence into creation in such a way as to order and complete what has been planned in the mind of God. Because the Holy Spirit is both awesomely powerful and intimately involved in the creation, the Spirit has the power to activate what is in the mind of God and also uh, is the ability to apply it in the details of our lives. And so uh, we spoke about all these things last week, and it may feel like a little bit of a refresher here, but I think this is very, very important for what we are talking about today. Uh, today we are talking about uh, it, the, the sermon is entitled Bondage Breaker. We're talking from Romans 8 about the freedom that we have in the Spirit of Christ and the power to break the bondage that we are enslaved to. Now, rather than me just talking about this, uh, I've invited my friend and fellow elder, Chris McBride, up here, and we are going to, we've never done this before, so uh, we'll see how it all goes, but we're going to have a conversation based around five different questions here. Good morning, everyone. Again, hopefully uh, through this discussion, it will help all of us better understand what's going on, not only in Romans 8, but in our lives as we try to live in the fullness of Christ and be guided by the Holy Spirit, living a powerful life by the guidance of the Spirit. So the five questions that we're going to be discussing are on the screen. Number one, did God's first plan fail? Did his initial plan fail, suggesting that maybe, maybe he's not all powerful and didn't really know what he was doing in the beginning? Number two, why are we not condemned? If, if what scripture says is true of us and our status before God, why do we now not stand condemned? Number three, what does it mean to be in Christ? You'll see that in the first few, um, first few verses of Romans 8 quite a bit. And so what does it mean? It would be helpful to understand that a little bit. Four, how is it being in Christ different than some of the other concepts that you hear in modern society, things that you might hear through uh, some self-help suggestions or even the concepts that are um, taught by other religions? How is it different? And then number five, why is the Holy Spirit necessary or what is the Holy Spirit necessary for? So we're, the way we're going to do this is basically I'm going to ask Kevin a lot of questions and then he might turn them back on me and we'll try to see what comes out um, as we learn from each other. So let's start with one, the first question. In Romans 8.3 it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. To be a, if the law was paid, did God that it was somehow? Um, yeah, I am asking you. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I uh, when when we're talking about the law here, I, I think it's helpful for us to think about what law we're speaking to. 
uh, about. Are we talking about the law of Illinois? Are we talking about the law of the government here, the local law? Or are we talking about the law given on Mount Sinai? And probably when we're talking about Scripture and Romans 8, we're talking about the law that was given on Mount Sinai. So you picture Moses and the Israelites at, at, at that mountain and the glory of God coming down. This is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And it's said that the law is like a pomegranate. There's like 613 seeds in a pomegranate. Go count them. I'm not sure if it's true. Um, but there's like 613 laws in the Torah. And, uh, and those laws have sort of an advanced organizer or a summary that can all fit on two stone tablets. They're called the, hey, help me out here. Ten Commandments, great. So we've got the Ten Commandments, which all deal with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And then there's even a more condensed uh, law than that. So if you really want to, boil it down to something, you know, someone came up to Jesus uh, and asked him, hey, what's, what's the most important commandment? You guys know it, don't you? Yeah, love God, love your neighbor. Now think about this. So in Matthew, Jesus said, you know, the, the first one is love God. He got that from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And the, the second one is love your neighbor. He got that from Leviticus. And if we got those two things right, Jesus said, all the rest of the law hangs on those two things, but we can't seem to do that. We can't love God, we can't love neighbor, and that's the law that we break. And it's all detailed out if you want 613 laws, but the basic, you know, the condensed version is we don't love God and love, love each other very well. Now, what is being said here is that law, just knowing, you know, if I, if I told you, hey, if you would just love God and love neighbor better, uh, would you do that? And um, I think the answer is uh, I, I'd like to, but I know I'm going to blow it. And so what, what the law is, is it's something that shows us what should be done, but it's powerless in of itself to help us do it. Something else uh, is required. So the law was never intended by God to solve um, the problem of our failures and our sin. It was there to show us that we actually are failing. That's something very important. We're not loving God and people very well, and that we need something else. And so what it was powerless to do is now done in Christ. What did I mess up on? It leads to an, a number of other questions. Obviously, Kevin and I discussed this a little bit before we came up here, and I feel like throwing out some more questions <laughs> that we didn't discuss. Um, but I think you're answering them, and I think it just might be helpful to run through them quickly. Like, you, you know, as a parent or a teacher or anybody who has to institute rules, you, you, don't, you try not to institute rules that you know that people cannot live up to or fulfill. So why give us all these rules? And yet I think your answer was, repeat for me, <laughs> if thing? you don't mind. You want me to repeat the whole thing? Um, well, just, I mean, what would the direct answer to that be? Like, why give us these rules if he knows we can't fulfill these rules? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, it's sort of like walking the street, what you're saying, because it, they help us for us to, uh, to have right relationship with God, right relationship with each other. It's good. Uh, you know, the law, in that sense, is good. Um, so that's why God gives it to us, because he wants to direct our steps. Hey, guys, we need to love God well. We need to love each other well. Um, Look at the Ten Commandments. By the way, the tenth is the hardest one because it basically gets between, uh, behind the heart of the whole thing. You know, um, our, our wrongful desires, and that's what uh, Jesus picked up in Matthew 5, is that even if you didn't 
uh, kill anybody or steal anything or whatever, if you ever thought of angrily or if you ever wanted to take something that wasn't yours, that also transgresses the law. So um, is it wrong to give that and just say, no, go ahead and do whatever you want. Go ahead and be angry at people. Go ahead and kill them. Go ahead and do whatever, you know. No, the, the law provides a very helpful thing, but it's not the solution to us breaking it. And it was never intended to be that. It was never intended to be that, yeah. Question number two. So if the problem is rooted in the human heart, why is there now no condemnation? It sounds like if we can't live up to the law. And the only way to be pleasing to God is through righteousness that we can't achieve. Where are we? Like we're left hopeless. Now, uh, why am I answering all these questions, Chris? I, I want to I know here. Question you have all the two. degrees. Right? Uh, I, I don't know if that's what we, what we talked about. Um, <laughs> He's throwing the curveball back. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just to add something quickly, I think it relates back to what you said, that um, God's original plan was not to give us a bunch of rules that we could never fulfill and then leave us hopeless. God's original plan was always Christ. Mm -hmm. And so to say that the law points out to us that we can never achieve this righteousness that makes us pleasing to God, is not intended to make us hopeless. It's intended us to, number one, realize our need, and number two, appreciate it when we see what Christ has done for us. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge who he is and give him the glory he deserves for taking our place and offering us his righteousness in return. Yeah. And don't you think, well, first of all, let's, let's, let's read this passage here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Um, I think, uh, and surely there are more uh, ways people respond to this, but I, I think what, I, what I've seen is people either say, well, the reason I'm not condemned, or the reason I shouldn't worry about it is because I, I'm a good person and uh, I've, I've done more good than bad. And, and if, if I'm in God's presence, he'll look at that and say, well, you know, he's generally a good person, better than this other person, you know, better my neighbor across the street, that's for sure. And, and uh, if weighed in the balance, our, our hearts, you know, uh, will, will come out as a winner. And, uh, and then there are others of us who know that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if weighed in the balance, our, our heart will not, um, not pass that scale. Uh, and, and so we, we feel the weight of that condemnation, and other times we, we blow it off saying, hey, I'm a good person. And neither of those are really a good solution, I think, um, because what it's saying here is Christ's righteousness um, is, is what we are leaning on. It's not our own righteous nation think we're a good person or we do that condemnation through Jesus' righteousness. I remember um, when I first heard the song, I was in my 20s, Amazing Grace. And so I was singing it with a group of people. And when it got to the line that said, who saved a wretch like me, I stopped singing. I was like, I'm not a wretch. I'm not going to talk to myself like that. I'm not going to believe lies about myself. The more you recognize God's holiness, the more you realize your desperate need. That's what I've come to realize. And the law was intended to help us recognize that, right? I think, uh, I don't know if it's true, but uh, there's a story about G.K. Chesterton. There's a, a newspaper in, in uh, England that uh, asked everyone, you know, uh, what is wrong with the world? And asked for feedback. And uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote a very short note, and he said, Dear sirs, I am. 
And that's sort of the story. I mean, you know, if there's something wrong, um, there's something desperately wrong in us that needs healing, and we need Jesus. We need the spirit of Jesus. And the good news isn't good news unless there's somehow bad news, right? And so later on when we get to next week, this is sort of a little teaser, um, you start to see the glory and the, the beauty and the amazingness of what, God's, what God provides for us instead. Um, we're in a desperate state, and yet what he offers us is amazing and beautiful. Uh, question number three. Again, it, you see a lot in these passages, this phrase, in Christ, what it means to be in, what does it mean to be in Christ? All these promises are made to those who are in Christ. So if you're sitting and listening wondering, well, am I or am I not? What does that mean? What would, a, what would you say to that answer or to that question? Uh, okay, uh, let's, let's just get this straight. When we get to question four, that's your question. I'll read the question, you answer it, okay? Because <clears throat> I, I, think, I think we talked about this ahead of time. I, I, seriously, that, folks, I don't, I don't know how this is I working out sure here. I was pretty sure you were but, doing this one too. Um, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1. Uh, and then, uh, Romans 8, uh, 8 through 9, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Uh, it makes me think of, uh, of Acts chapter 2, if you remember that. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, and uh, they all spilled out into the streets, and they speak in tongues they had not known, and uh, people are saying, are they, are they drunk? Are they, well, what's going on here? And, 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 and then, but others heard them in their own language, speaking and, and declaring the glories of God. And, and uh, then Peter stands up, uh, scared Peter, who had, had been afraid to, uh, to share the name of Jesus. He stands up in the middle of the street, and he tells the people what actually happened and why they should believe in Jesus. And finally, the people uh, turn. They say, what should we do? I think herein lies the answer to the question. Uh, Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance meaning turn from what you were doing towards what you ought to be doing, you can't do that on your own, but you can do that through the power of Christ and the Spirit of Christ. And so we, we've got to turn, and we've got to want to turn away from the ways of the flesh towards the way of the Spirit. And then baptism is, is, the, is the symbolism, the outward symbolism of exactly that. You're dying to the ways of the flesh, and you're coming out into the, the, the new life. And then we live according to the Holy Spirit. Uh, if, if, if that's you and you've gone through that and experienced that, that's being in Christ. If you never have, then you're not part of the promises here because you're not in Christ. Um, and then this passage goes on and says, you know, if you have received the Spirit, live according to the Spirit. Um, live according to the Spirit of Jesus. Um, and I, I, I think uh, I've seen, you know, people when they turned to Christ, um, some of them are struggling with various addictions, and we've seen those addictions broken, and, so, and, and, and feelings of guilt and shame, and we've seen that broken. We've seen God's Spirit work in people's lives, and sometimes it happens immediately, and sometimes it's, uh, it's a slow, slow process, which we call sanctification, and, um, and either way, it's the work of God, and, and uh, what I've heard is that God sometimes does his work in great thunderstorms and other times in slow drizzles, but it always gets done. 
Um, so that, that's my understanding. And so as we move forward, I guess the way I understand it is that you now identify with Christ, right? You are in a, a relationship with Christ. You are um, connected to Christ, and everything you're doing is, so to speak, in this relationship. It's almost like a marriage relationship. I don't know if that's a great analogy or not, but I identify as a married person, and everything I do, every decision I make has to be in light of the fact that I'm married and I have this other person in my life who is um, completely influential on me. And so with Christ, it's like everything you do in life becomes connected to in, in conjunction with Christ. Yeah, that's such a good analogy of marriage because um, it, it, it makes us think of, you know, if we have a rotten marriage, a lot of times it's like, you know, you do this, I'll do this, you do this, I'll do this, and it's sort of a, you know, tit-for-tat kind of thing, and it, it always ends up being kind of rough. Um, but if we have a marriage where we love each other, and then we actually do what the other person wants because we love the other person, and we don't worry about whether they're doing enough for us, um, that's sort of like the, the relationship in Christ, that we would love God, and we know that he loves us, and so we don't worry about, uh, we, we would do all the things that we ought to do anyway because we love God. In Acts 17.28, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. That sounds like a pretty good summary to me. Yeah, that, that's really great. Do you great. want to throw the next question at yeah, me? Yeah, I'm throwing I the jump next in? question here. All right, where is this thing? Question number four. Let's put that up there. All right, we got it. How is being Christ different? And I think uh, what we're, well, I'll read those uh, passages, or actually, I'll let you read those too. <laughs> and uh, how is being Christ different from self help and other religions? Uh, there, there are many different um, people that say um, that. If you do these certain things, uh, you concentrate on one thought, you, uh, you, can, you can achieve all sorts of things. Um, if, you, um, if you follow this other religion, doesn't it take you to the same place as Christianity? Don't all these many paths get you to the same spot? Um, how, is, how is this any different? How is being in Christ different? Obviously, it's helpful to read exactly what the scripture says first. So, for what the law was powerless son, so he condemned sin law, might of the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. And so, some of the things that came up while I was studying this passage to me is like, how is this question of having your mind set on the spirit different than, for example, the power of positive thinking, where you are able to sort of visualize what your life should be, what you want it to be, and then sort of somehow cosmically make it happen. And you hear that, I've heard that from a number of celebrities, and I think that's a popular idea in the culture. And then also this this question of um, sort of rejecting the flesh and living by the spirit, that brings up some questions about, you know, how should we look at the physical world? Some religions will suggest that you should totally deny any physical desire totally deny um, any attachment to, to the physical world in order to somehow achieve this higher form of spirituality or something like that. And I, I think one of the things that's helpful to know when you look at this passage first is that when, when Paul says the flesh, he's referring to the sinful nature. So it's not a direct correlation to anything physical. Christianity does not teach that the physical world is innately evil. In fact, in Genesis, it tells you that when God created it, it was good. It does teach that it's fallen, but that's not exactly the same. 
And God, actually, Christ intends to redeem all of creation. As you'll see later, if you read through the rest of Romans 8, he talks a little bit about that idea. And so um, I think the reason this question is important to me is I would like to fight back against some of the cultural accusations about Christianity, teaching you, and, you know, this is kind of a hot topic, but in sexuality, for example, some of the criticisms would be that Christians teach that you should despise your body, they teach shame, they teach that you should turn away from what is natural, and that only by embracing all of those things will you really experience freedom and will you really experience what is good for you. And I think it's helpful to understand the point I just made before, that God created everything good, and it's only because we are in a state of fallenness that we are not experiencing it to its fullest. We are not experiencing life to its fullest. And so when you hear some of these phrases thrown around in the culture, like live your best life and stuff like that, you gotta ask yourself, what does that really mean? Because I think one of the problems is a lot of times that what that does is it encourages you to look inward. It encourages you to look at yourself as though you are the one that has the power to live a, or make your life better, or make your life fulfilling, or make your life what you want it to be. And there may be some truth to the idea, you know, there is some truth to the idea that your actions have consequences and that you can, you can make better choices and live with better consequences. I think that's not untrue. But um, I think the danger falls in looking at yourself for fulfillment and for power that can only come through the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear the whole series, the sermon series is life in the Spirit and Romans 8 is talking about living in the Spirit, I think that's sort of the main point of it all, is that um, God does not leave us alone to our own devices to mess everything up and try to find fulfillment apart from him. He designed us to be in relationship with him, and the only way we will find that fulfillment is in him. And so all these other things, even though there might be some truths in them mixed in, they're going to leave you, in my experience, what little I know, they're going to leave you. At the very least, at the least, yeah, for the reasons I'm at far, but anyway, thank you. No, that's, that's good. And, and, you know, and, and back to the law, um, everyone has, has, you know, if, if we're talking some place we think people really ought to stop. And you can think of those things, you know, uh, what age should people stop sexual behavior? Um, should it be just with humans? I mean, you, you could, some place people want it to stop. All people want it to stop at a certain point. And where should it stop? And who's going to tell us where it should stop if we all think different things? If, if we're all writing our own individual game book, then where should it stop? The same thing comes with when, when should somebody uh, be able to put somebody else to death, whether it's when they're really young or really old or infirm or whatever, you know, when, when should it stop? And um, so I, I think um, the rule book is to help us understand what the rules are, what, what God says the rules are, and then the grace that, that Christ extends just says, yeah, you know, you stepped over this boundary of the rule, but Christ died for you to, to, um, so that you don't have to be condemned, so that you can live by the Spirit and that God will continue to, to clean you up. Should we go on to question number five? <laughs> I would love to stay on this one, but yes, let's move oh, on. Yeah. Well, I, you know, how much longer do you have? I can see <laughs> the thing back there. You probably have one more minute if you want to. Wow. Well, I just wanted to add, uh, it's probably just summarizing what you just said, that, again, when you talk about other religions and other philosophies and other, um, any ideas that human beings have generated on their own, 
It's all dependent on you. And the good news of the gospel is that God does not leave us to our own devices, right? We're not left alone to try and work it out ourselves. We're not trying to prove ourselves to gain his love. We're not trying to do enough good deeds to earn his favor. All of those things are bestowed on us in Christ. And we'll talk more about that next week as well. It actually leads to question number five. If we say the Holy Spirit's necessary, what is the Holy Spirit necessary for? That's a great segue. Nice work. Um, I think that's the, yeah, I think that's the point, that if we know we can't do it on our own, God, provide, that God doesn't leave us to that. He doesn't say, for example, okay, I forgive you, now go figure it out. He says, I forgive you. I have um, declared you righteous now. And in order to live like it, so that you can not only be fully pleasing to me as you live and bless others, um, you can experience the full life I promise you, I will give you the Holy Spirit to make it possible. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you've ever set a goal for yourself, like I want to change this behavior or I want to stop doing this and start doing that, you know how difficult it is and you know how it's almost impossible to sustain it for the rest of your life. I don't know if you've experienced that. Um, God does not tell us it's all on us. It's an amazing gift that he gives us, that he empowers us to do this. Uh, I love the, the fact Spirit. that the Holy Spirit is called a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. It's just an intriguing thought. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I think that was, what question were we on? I got lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if we're lost. Well, it's all good. I mean, it's, yeah. it's all about um, Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in us. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is the gift that's given. Uh, you know, in Pentecost, when we talk about repentance, you know, you turn, turn away from sin, admit to, it, it is what it is to Christ, and um, be baptized. And by, by the way, you might not have ever been baptized as an, as an adult. I encourage you to do so. It's a, it's a point of obedience in Scripture. Can I um, ask quickly, can yeah, I go interject? Ahead. Do you have to be baptized to have the Holy Spirit? Um, you have to be baptized. To be so if you're sitting there thinking, okay, I think I've made a profession of faith. I've never been baptized. Do you know, there, the spirit or there's a range of, uh, of, of beliefs on that that I think are, are okay. So I, don't, I, wanna, I can give you my, my thought on that, but, but I think that um, the Holy Spirit comes with or without baptism. However, I think baptism and Lord's Supper, for that matter, a lot of times we call them as an outward symbol of, of something, you know, an outward sign of an inward condition. And, but I think they're more than symbolic. I think they are, in the best sense of the word, means of grace. And that's loaded and fraught with difficulty if you understand what that means. I don't mean that they're uh, imparting our salvation. I mean that God uses them as marks of grace in our lives both communion and, and baptism. And so I, I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I think that, yes, the Holy Spirit could meet with us significantly at baptism, certainly that happened at Jesus' baptism uh, and in other uh, examples in Scripture, but I don't know that, that baptism is necessarily necessary for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I think that's, that comes with our profession of faith. Yeah. Thanks. All right, we're getting close to our time here. Any, any last thoughts, parting shots, last thoughts? No. I really, I feel like I would just go off on, again, tangents all day because yeah. they're all good and they're all meaningful. Uh, but I, I don't know if I, I, hopefully we all were able to address the question directly. Thank if, you. If any of you would like to take a ride in Chris's theological boat, <laughs> grab, him, uh, grab him after service. And uh, Chris, thank you. Good, everyone, thank you. So, this is really low. We're, we're going to fix this later. Um, so did did God's first plan fail?
did we lose me? Uh, did, it, did it fail? No, it didn't fail. Um, God's first plan was to make us, um, was never to make us good enough. It was always Jesus. Uh, the, the law was there so we can understand uh, what we, um, we need to understand, understand the bad news before we can understand the good news. Yes, we've messed up. God doesn't turn a blind eye to it, but he provided Jesus. And then uh, why are we not condemned? Because Christ took our condemnation upon himself, exchanging our unrighteousness for his righteousness. And so we're not uh, condemned because, um, not because we're uh, good enough, we've done enough good things, uh, we're not condemned because of what Jesus did for us. And what does it mean to be in Christ? Repent, baptized, and receive. Who do we need to receive? Are you guys asleep? We need to receive the Holy Spirit. All right. We're going to have to have you stand up and do jump, jumping jacks. How is being in Christ different than self-help or other religions? Um, as C.S. Lewis indicated, uh, it's not that Jesus was a good person, a good example, a good teacher, someone we should follow. Uh, Jesus actually was God in the flesh who died for us and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's very different. And then, uh, what is the Holy Spirit necessary for? The Holy Spirit is necessary for freedom of Christ and belonging to God. So tune in next time for more when Chris will be speaking more from the same passage about belonging um, to God through the Holy Spirit. So living by the Spirit is so essential that... All right, we're going to switch this. How's this? Can we make this live? All right. Um, can you hear me? No. Is it no? It's on. There we go. Awesome. We'll turn this one off, that one on. All right, we'll look at that later. So um, they're like, surely he's going to cut it short because the mic's not working. Sorry. Um, so uh, in Luke 4, Jesus quoted Isaiah claiming his ministry was to set the prisoners free. And this is also why in Galatians 5, Paul writes, for freedom, Christ set us free. The passage today says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, um, it, so we're talking about freedom in Christ. We're talking about bondage breaking. And sometimes Christians get confused over what's essential. We think that things of the flesh are more essential than things of the, of the spirit, and we act that way. If anyone to look at our calendar, our, our wallet, or you know, any of the indicators, the great indicators of how we are living our life, they would say, well, you know, no, I don't think what's essential to this person is the spirit of God. Living by the spirit, it's more like living the ways of the flesh, if that was true you know, of, of any of us that, to a degree. But, um, but what we need to understand is that living by the Spirit is essential business, and it is essential business of now all of us, and it is, cannot be, but they can be afflicted to the degree that they live in the flesh. And so uh, what I want to encourage us is that everything that was just said here points us to, hey, there's two ways to live. Live according to the flesh, live according to the Spirit. Which way do you want to live? And the one that you embrace is the one that's going to have the deepest effect on your life. Hey, Christians, if we love God, we're going to act as if we love him. 
If we, just as if we loved our spouse or loved our child, our actions would follow. We can't just say, oh, I love, you know, my, my son or daughter, I love my wife, and, and say, and then we act as if we don't. But our actions are a good indication of how we feel about God, the actions of, of how, how we treat God and about how we treat other people. And when we move in that direction, we're, we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit in us, and that is able to break the chains that bind us. Sometimes immediately, sometimes over time. But if we want to have spiritual freedom, freedom in Christ, we want to be living in Christ, the, the best life that God has for us on into eternity, then we want to cooperate with the work of God and the Holy Spirit. So um, I'll say this in closing. The Spirit of Jesus is the bondage breaker who frees us to live according to the Spirit as sons and daughters of the King. Remember this, if you remember nothing else. If you want to be free from the chains that bind, embrace the Spirit who lives. Please bow your heads with me. Father, I pray that we would be free from the chains that bind. And I pray that we would embrace the Spirit who lives. God, help us. We know that all of us are chained to the flesh. There are certain things that, uh, that still plague us to a greater or lesser degree. But through the Holy Spirit, we are in the process of being cleaned up, the process of sanctification, the process of, of living more and more like the person you have designed us to be. And as we do that, Lord, there's joy and there's peace. And pray, Lord, for joy and peace in all of our lives as we seek you and follow you and give ourselves more fully over to you. Help us to embrace the power of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, uh, as we come into this time of communion, I pray that you would work on our hearts and speak to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.